So here it is, another Christmas message by Pastor John. I was uh, getting my hair cut on Friday, and the gal who cuts both Lily and my hair, I used to, they had a thing in there, it was like, it reminded me, just thing hanging up on the wall is like, um, sometimes haircuts, good haircuts are done by accident, other times they're good because you go somewhere where you know you're going to get a good haircut. So I read that. It was shorter than that, but I read that, and it's like I've had those accidental good haircuts before at like uh, super cuts or something like that, and then you go back, and the person that cuts your hair well isn't working there anymore, and it's like it's a flip of a coin. Um, But she was saying that I was listening to you on the radio the other day and you were talking about the origin of the Greek word fugitive. And she goes, what was that word? And (laughs) it's like, you got to understand that when we're doing radio teachings, they might be coming from 10 years ago. I have no idea what the Greek word for origin of fugitive is right now. I could find it out for you. But uh, sometimes, and so for the last, uh, last week and this week, I've been broadcasting on my teaching shows, Christmas messages, and they're going back several years, of course. I I get one or two opportunities a year to do a Christmas message, and so last year's is on there, and that's only uh, two radio shows, so I'm filling up two weeks and going back. So some of this may be familiar. It's the Christmas story. It should be familiar to us. And this week, as Kevin was teaching, uh, you can see in my notes, I was taking notes of Kevin last week as he was teaching about the coming of Christ. And I just wrote down in there, um, talk about Mary and Joseph. And so I've done this before, I know, but that was just as I was being fed last week as we were going through the message last week by Pastor Kevin, I wrote down in my notes that I'm going to talk about Mary and Joseph on next Sunday. We'll be talking about Jesus and his birth. But here we're going to look at the lives of Mary and Joseph today. And I titled this kind of a longer title, Ready and Willing to Answer God's Call, the Mary and Joseph Story. And I did it, the Mary and Joseph story. I'd reversed it originally, the Joseph and Mary story. But I, I did it in the Mary and Joseph order because that's how the angels came to them. The angel Gabriel came first to Mary and then later to Joseph. So I'm going to do it in that order of appearance and their knowledge of what God was about to do in their lives. And so we're going to look at this from Luke chapter 1, Mary's service for the Lord, revealed to us in Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. And then Joseph's service for the Lord found in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. 25. And then I'm just going to wrap it up with a third point of final applications that I pull out of the their stories. And I actually ended up with the same amount of final application from Mary that we can apply to our lives, from Joseph that we can apply to our lives today. So we're talking about the first Christmas and we're talking about this Christmas. And we're going to look back to the first Christmas and how God interjected in the lives of Mary and Joseph 
at that time, but also how it can play out in our lives today. So let's go ahead and go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Mary's service to the Lord. And first we discover in verses 26 through, I may have said 28 before, it's 26 through 38 total, but we're going to look at for our first point. Luke 1, 26 through 28, reading from verses 26 and 27. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, a virgin's, the virgin's name was Mary. So six months prior to this, Gabriel came uh, to the priest, Zacharias, while he was ministering in the temple. Gabriel came to announce to him that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son. And these were faithful servants of God, but they were older. They were actually past the age of bearing children. And uh, perhaps they had prayed that God would give them a son to continue the line. It was very important for a priest. Uh, Women were not priests, so it was important for a priest to have a son that he could carry on the family line in the priesthood, but they were at that point childless. And yet when Gabriel came to Zacharias, he said, your prayer had been answered. And some may teach that, you know, even though they were beyond the age of childbearing, they continued to pray that God would give them a son personally. I feel that there's a point when we pray for something with God that we may kind of give up on it, and especially considering the Bible telling us that they were stooped over with age. It's like, all right, look, this isn't happening anymore. We can just kind of say that that prayer was a no from God, and we may stop praying. I think maybe that's where Zacharias and Elizabeth had come to in their lives, that they had stopped praying for a son, realizing that they were too old to give birth to a son or to any child, And yet, Gabriel said, your prayer has been heard. And I think Zacharias may have said, what prayer? What are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, I gave up on that prayer. It's like, God heard it. He answers it. And he's coming with the answer now. So that's important because what happened with Zacharias and Elizabeth would play into what is going to happen with Mary here in this timeline in the Gospel of Luke. So they, she was betrothed to Joseph, and they were both of the lineage and offspring of David. They were of the tribe of Judah. They were both descendants of David. You have to read through the genealogies, but Mary came uh, from David through Nathan, David's son Nathan, and Joseph came from David through Solomon, but Solomon's line through Jeconiah was cut off. And so you have to read through the genealogies, but technically uh, David's line through Solomon would later, because of uh, Jeconiah, would be cut off. And yet God had Mary coming through the line of Nathan, Nathan, who was not cut off. He wasn't of the kingly line in the sense that Nathan didn't sit on the throne after his dad David, Solomon did. But the direct bloodline of Jesus going back through Nathan to David 
makes Jesus the son of David as well. And so that's important. That's not really what we're looking at today. They were betrothed to one another, kind of like an engagement. Um, For those who have been around Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa for a while, uh, you would remember Pastor Abraham from India coming to visit us. And when Pastor Abraham would come, he would come to the United States. And when you got him, you got him until he went to the next place. And so we would have Abraham in our house for a week or two. Um, And so Pastor Abraham and I spent time talking with one another. Sadly, he went to be with the Lord a few years ago. But he was always on a hunt for a husband for his daughter. And, uh, you know, he was even eyeing our son at one point, uh, trying to check him out. And so since they would do arranged marriages, I asked him about how it worked out in India. This doesn't mean it's exactly how it took place in biblical days, but probably not too far from it. And he said they did have an opportunity to say yes or no. They would actually, uh, parents would arrange the marriage, bring the children together, put them together in a room, give them an opportunity, one opportunity to talk with each other. And after that opportunity, would go back to their parents and say, yeah, go ahead and, and go ahead with the arrangement, make it happen. Or say, no, dad, this isn't going to work out. Um, so it was kind of a one-time shot. Hey, how are you? I don't like you. I don't want to marry you. Um, they could tell their parents that parents perhaps could override it. But it was usually an arranged marriage by the parents, uh, normally in the class of the society, whatever they grew out of. So if they were wealthy, they would arrange marriages with wealthy people, people of common background, arranging these marriages with one another. Usually a girl at this time, biblically, from 12 to 16 years old, she would be married. Kind of blows our minds here, doesn't it? And men were pretty much married between the ages of 18 to 20. So I'm just putting that out there. When we watch movies of the Christmas story, usually Mary's like 30-something years old or 40 years old. Maybe, you know, depends on how old the movie is. Some of the newer ones have Mary and Joseph a bit younger. But in our head, we may have this fixation that they were kind of like us in the age, but no, they were probably teenagers. And so this is a lot to consider, um, even as their age and the maturity, that this is happening to them. So during the betrothal period, usually around a year, they were preparing Uh, the bride preparing to go with her husband. The husband uh, spent the year as well making preparations. And during this time, verse 28, and having come in, the angel said to Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So Mary was highly favored and blessed among women. And this is true because Mary is the only woman of all time who had this unique opportunity to be the mother of Jesus. No other woman can play into this. This is only Mary's privilege. However, I think it's a mistake if we elevate Mary beyond what we find in Scripture. 
Mary uh, should be revered for her role, honored for her role that she had, but she should never be worshipped. Uh, I had uh, a bad delivery this week at my house. I was waiting for a uh, wood-burning stove on Tuesday and scheduled to come, and a big old semi in our subdivision uh, bringing the stove, and the tr- truck was practically empty, two items in there, my skid and somebody else's, and uh, was talking to the semi-driver, and, and he was telling me that... Uh, his wife, I don't forget which one. One was from a Catholic background. One was from a Lutheran background. But he voluntarily said, he said, we just, when we got married, we couldn't get over the fact that Mary should not be worshipped. So talking about what's happening in the Catholic Church, it sounds like they never really solidified um, a church life because they came from two different backgrounds I took the opportunity. He asked what church we went, was part of. I told him I was a pastor. I said, Calvary Chapel. He said, is it denomination? I said, no, there's, you know, this, is, this is me talking about Calvary Chapel. No, we're not a denomination, but there's about 1,500 of us in the United States. This is just in my head all the time. I said, but in February, there's a movie coming out called The Jesus Revolution that talks about the early days of Calvary Chapel. And so even before he left, he goes, what was the name of that movie? My wife would like to see this movie. So I'm already advertising even before seeing it. You want to talk about Calvary Chapel? It's got to be in the movies, in the theaters in February. We shouldn't be ashamed to uh, share our faith with others. And it might be how you share it just to, and this, this was kind of like a one-off. I probably will never see this guy again. But we were talking about Christ, and it just kind of came that way. So Mary was chosen for her unique role. And we should honor and revere her for that. We should never worship her. But we can also rejoice that God has given us each a role to fulfill in his kingdom's work. Ephesians 1, 5 through 6 Paul tells us, having predestined us to the adoption as sons, and we can add, and daughters, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. That the Lord has a call for us today. So we're looking at the very first Christmas But this Christmas, to understand that God has a plan for us as well that makes us highly favored in the sight of God, but in a different way than that of Mary or Joseph. We have been betrothed to the Lord. We are the bride of Christ. We should be waiting for the shout of his soon return. It's because of his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection that he now offers salvation to all who accept him. Such salvation makes us highly favored, seeing that the Lord is with us, and we are blessed to be called the children of God. But Mary, she's troubled by the angel's message. Now remember, get the movies or TV shows of a Mary who's in her late 20s or 30s out of your head and think more like a teenager receiving this message. But I don't care if you're in your 20s or 30s. You have an angel show up, and not just any angel. This is Gabriel. The Bible only names three for us. 
And this is one of the three angels named in the Bible, uh, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. You know, he's a bad guy, John, but yeah, he was an angel of the Lord and he's named for us. So that actually Lucifer, the name means the shining one. So it's not an evil name. I wouldn't suggest you name your child that, but <laughs> it's not a bad name. It's kind of bad what happened after the fact in the fall, but only three are named. Gabriel's before her in verse 29, we read, she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, considered what manner of greeting this was, verse 30 and 31. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So six months earlier, Zacharias was also troubled at the appearance of of Gabriel. Now, we don't know uh, if Zacharias ever had an opportunity to go into the holy place. He was not a high priest, which meant he never would go into the holy of holies of the temple, but every serving priest would get an opportunity. It was almost by lottery that you would go into the holy place to administer the work there daily. They would take care of the uh, menorah, the lamps, the lighting. Weekly, they would change out the showbread that was there on the table in the holy place. And it was Zacharias' turn. It could have been a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but Gabriel was there to meet him, and he was also troubled. He was also afraid. So it's not surprising that Mary... A betrothed teenager should be troubled or afraid at the appearance of Gabriel and the words that he had proclaimed to her that she was highly favored with God. Who, me? I I mean, what would you say if an angel came to you and said, highly favored one of the Lord? You talking to the right person here? But also, it was not just the appearance of, of the angel, but specifically she was troubled at his saying, considering what manner of greeting this was. It's like, how are you going to do this work? And what do you mean I'm going to bring forth a son and I should call his name Jesus? So I've said this a number of times. Jesus is the Greek translation. It's always found in the New Testament regarding the name of Jesus, but the Jewish name would be Joshua. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. And so the Greek language, Joshua is translated to Jesus, has the same meaning. Jehovah is salvation or Jehovah is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. So Isaiah 7:14 tells us, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So he goes on to explain to Mary in verses 32 through 33 concerning Jesus, the child that she would give birth to. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So five things that Gabriel proclaimed 
about Jesus. Jesus will be. He was talking to Mary before the birth of Jesus. For us, Jesus is. But for Mary, Jesus will be. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. He will be given the throne of David. He will be over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be everlasting. So let's tie some scripture to these five points. Uh, Jesus will, is, depending on your perspective. For Mary, it was a future thing. For us, uh, it's an already done thing. Jesus will be great. In Luke 3:16, John answered, saying to all, Indeed, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. John the Baptist would later testify of the greatness of Jesus. And to loosen the sandal strap, that was the duty of the lowest slave in a household. So John the Baptist, as great a man as he was, Jesus testified of John the Baptist saying he was the greatest of all the prophets. And I believe the greatest of all the prophets because of all the prophets, talking about all the prophets of the Old Testament, only John had the privilege to introduce Jesus as the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John had a unique role, but John saw his unique role as being the lowest Lower than the lowest. The lowest slave in a household would deal with the feet of the master. Take his sandals off, wash his feet. John said, I can't even loosen his sandal straps. So he, he put himself lower than the lowest slave. He will be great. Two, Jesus will be called the son of the highest. In Romans 1.4, Paul said, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So the proof of Jesus Christ being the son of the highest is seen in his victory over death by the resurrection of the dead. Number three, Jesus will be given the throne of his forefather, David, the throne of David. And this comes from the Davidic prophecy that was given to David through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7:16. And your house, your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne will be established forever. And so God promised David that I'm going to build you a house. And it's going to be established forever. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise and the forever section of that promise as well. Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So the house of Jacob technically referring to Israel, but through faith in the name of Jesus Christ, we've all become part of the seed of Abraham. In Genesis 49:10, Jacob said to his son Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, until peace comes. To him shall be the obedience of the people. So Shiloh, another name for the Messiah, coming from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob through the son Judah. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And here we have number five. 
of Jesus' kingdom, there'll be no end. In Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government, increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward forever and ever. But I want to remind us that we too have found favor with God because God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, who paid the price of our sin when he died upon the cross. So we too have found favor with God. We're looking at the first Christmas, but we're looking at this Christmas right now, what's coming up next week, and to know that we have found favor with God. So questioning but obedient. First, let's look at 34 through 35. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Or, yeah, do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So Mary was confused. Remember, she's probably a teenager. If not, in her early 20s, one of the authors said uh, in their culture at that time for a woman to be unmarried at 20 was pretty much unheard of. So think of Mary, a teenager, and she's, you know, betrothed to be married. G. Campbell Morgan explained it this way of uh, the angel's answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. G. Campbell Morgan in his student survey of the Bible said, would find delicacy of touch. Luke declared that the mystery of the conception of this new man, there was a process by which he was made sinlessly conceived. That which is to be born shall be called holy in the mystery of that divine activity overshadowing the virgin, that she was cleansed from all sin, so that the man who appeared before us is immaculately conceived and therefore is the sinless man. So Mary, the Bible tells us of Jesus in Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So It's not to say that Mary was without sin. There are some, again, we'll go back to the Catholic Church, who teach that she was. In fact, there are some in the Catholic Church that believe she is a co-redemptorance with Jesus Christ. That's wrong teaching. The Bible never said that Mary was without sin. There's some way that through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was conceived without sin, made him born a sinless man, did not have the inherent sin nature that we have, that we're born into. And that is why 1 John 1, 7, the scripture tells us it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. So get this, it's even hard to explain as a pastor, and I've been studying this for a long time. Now Mary's just getting it in real time. She's like, how can this be? I don't get it. Well, don't worry, Mary. It's hard for us, too, (laughs) to understand, even with reading commentary. And there's still, I think there's just mystery there that we will not, on this side of heaven, totally understand. So 36 through 38, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. 
And now this is the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done according to me to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Gabriel encouraged Mary by telling her about her cousin Elizabeth, who is no doubt a lot older than her. She was beyond the age of uh, childbearing, but she was now six months in her sixth month of pregnancy. And no doubt Mary had known of Elizabeth's barren state. And now her reproach from her cultural perspective had been taken away with Gabriel saying, with God, nothing will be impossible. So that is just something that we find in Scripture over and over again. Gabriel told Mary about Elizabeth and her pregnancy. Nothing's impossible for God. God rhetorically asked this of Abraham in Genesis 18:14, saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? Abraham, of course, would say, no, Lord, nothing too hard for you. Jeremiah proclaimed this about the Lord in Jeremiah 32:17, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and your outstretched arm, there is nothing too hard for you. And Jesus declared this same thing, talking about the difficulty for those who are rich being able to be saved. The problem is on their side, not the possibility of God being able to save anyone. And when the disciples asked Jesus, if the rich can't get saved, who then can be saved? The response of Jesus, Matthew 19, 26, with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So we all have different roles to fulfill in the kingdom of God. We're looking at the first Christmas and the role of Mary specifically right now, but it should help to remind us at this Christmas that we all have different roles to fulfill in the kingdom of God. Therefore, it's important for us to surrender to God's call for our lives. For Mary, the first Christmas meant following the plan of God for her life. So Joseph's service to the Lord, we find that in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The announcement to him, well, it begins like this in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So although Jesus is not the son of Joseph, God chose a godly man to help raise his son. In the genealogies, the one found in Matthew's gospel begins with the genealogy in Matthew. Uh, Luke's gospel gives us another genealogy in chapter 3. We learn that both Mary and Joseph were descendants, not only of Abraham, but from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of David. And uh, here we have in Matthew's gospel, we're not going to look it over, but you'll find in verse 11 of chapter 1, that Jeconiah is the one who was cut off, that no descendant of his would sit on the throne. So this is the lineage of David given to us in Matthew's gospel, uh, not of David, of uh, Joseph. And then in Luke chapter 3, we get Mary's line presented to us there. 
But also, both tell us that they were betrothed to one another. So I addressed the betrothal period earlier for Joseph. That year was preparation. Customarily in their homes in that day, uh, you didn't get a spread somewhere else. You got part of the family home. We saw this when Lily and I and others from the church were over in Israel. It was quite a while ago on that trip, but we were there. And in the Arab quarters, they were doing home additions. And so it's still playing out real time, not in the Jewish culture so much, but in the Arab culture, still doing the same thing. They were like, I specifically remember uh, being in one of the Arab towns and seeing like a third floor being added on. That was maybe the parents being moved to a new apartment and a son was taking over the household or someone was preparing a home, adding on uh, to bring the bride home. That was customary. So it may not be so much that Joseph was preparing a place apart from the family, but just preparing a place for he and his new bride-to-be to have a home for themselves in the family heritage. But it was during the betrothal that uh, Joseph learned that Mary was pregnant. So after the birth announcement from Gabriel to Mary, Mary went to be with Elizabeth until her birth, And so Gabriel said she's six months pregnant. Mary was there until she gave birth to John the Baptist. And uh, that meant that she was there at least three months. And so Mary now is at least three, four, five months pregnant. There's a point where Joseph, she returned. He realized she's carrying a child. And... uh, He had to deal with this, a very difficult time for him. For the first Christmas, for Joseph meant his world was turned upside down. So verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So after she returned, discovering at some point she's with child, it must have been, you know, heartbreaking whether he discovered it on his own or he, he asked, he said, Mary, you look a little fooler in the face. I'm envisioning, a, you know, they wore robes and stuff that could hide a pregnancy for quite a while. But there was a point where he knew what was going on. She may have just said, look, Joseph, an angel came to me and said this. And he's like, yeah, right. Being a just man, not wanting to make a public example of her, He minded to put her away secretly. So they were betrothed to one another, but it was a legal contract. So they had not consummated the marriage yet. They hadn't come together technically as husband and wife, but they were considered husband and wife. They had a legal contract between them, and they had to break the contract with divorce. So don't confuse it with Western engagement. And the girl says it's off, I'm keeping the ring, or throws the ring at the guy and says it's off. That's a breaking of a contract, but it's not a legal contract. It's just two people saying we're not getting married. This would have been done legally. would have meant that for them, the courts were found at the gate of the city. It would have been done publicly. So he had it in his mind to send her away privately. Really, I think he was considering... Maybe not considering himself as well, but Mary and the child. 
in Psalm 112, 4 and 5, unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious. He's full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously. He lends. He guides his affair with discretion. And so Joseph is preparing, but he's thinking about it. He's preparing what he should do. And I think it shows us that he was a a good man who guides his affairs with discretion. But the first Christmas for Joseph came with these life-altering consequences. So while he thought about these things, verses 20 and 21, while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So in Matthew's gospel, we get this, the character of Joseph, that he was just, he was compassionate, also that he was an obedient and honorable man. But remember, he was a young man. He was just because he wanted to do the right thing concerning Mary. And yet the law, technically the law, although we never read of anyone being stoned to death because of this in the Bible, Deuteronomy 22, 23, and 24, if uh, a woman was found pregnant because of uh, adultery and or... um, If she was a virgin like Mary and there was a pregnancy, there would be a forced marriage. And so there was law concerning how these things should be dealt with. The worst case scenario was stoning for both the woman and the man. And that was in the case of adultery. But he had compassion because he did not want to make Mary a public example. He decided to secretly divorce her. He was obedient because he believed the testimony of the angel that came to him. Maybe, maybe Mary had already told him all of this. That I conceived because of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have a son. The angel said I should call his name Jesus. Maybe Joseph had heard all this from Mary, but now an angel's backing it up. And I think that's important for us sometimes when making decisions in our lives concerning the will of God in our lives, that sometimes he'll reveal a plan to us and then have others come alongside and maybe not even knowing they back up the testimony that you've already received from the Lord. You're thinking about it. And they back up that testimony But also we find that the angel's words combined with God's prophetic word, we're going to see that in a moment, caused Joseph to take Mary to be his wife. So again, here we have, I had said about the name of Jesus coming from the Hebrew, the Greek is Jesus, Hebrew is Joshua, Jehovah is salvation, and here we get that. A bit of that translation, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the work of Jesus. He is Savior. First John 3, 5. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 
So the first Christmas was when God brought together all of the prophetic plan for our salvation. He, he brought it together at this time. 22 and 23, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled. This is the angel speaking to Joseph in a dream. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, translated God with us. So the angel's message combined with God's written word assured Joseph that he was a true messenger of God. Paul would warn in Galatians 1.8, but if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. So I, I heard it from an angel. We have... Uh, Jehovah's Witness, the Mormons, they tie back new documents. Uh, they tie back angelic uh, translations of God's word saying that believe the angel that showed up. And yet the Bible says don't believe that because it's another gospel. They're not confirming that which has already been given to us, but they're adding to what has been given to us. So this was a validation of the message by God's prophetic word through the angel through to Joseph. And that was all he needed to be obedient to God's will for his life. And in a similar way, we can, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it might come through the testimony of others to us, but it should be backed up by the word of God in our lives. And it should be all that we need to respond in faith as followers of Jesus Christ. This prophecy from Isaiah 7.14 was actually given from Isaiah to King Ahaz when their kingdom was under attack. The kingdom of Judah was under attack by the king of Syria and the king of Israel. And the prophet came to Ahaz and said, the Lord God said, they will not prevail against you. And then the prophet said, God says, ask for any sign and he will give it to you to prove that what I am saying is true. Now, King Ahaz responded to that in Isaiah 7:12, saying, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. I'm not going to ask God for a sign. And because he refused to ask for a sign, we have been blessed this day for the sign that was given because then Isaiah told Ahaz, if you're not going to ask for a sign, then God's going to give you a sign. And this is it. Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the first Christmas came with an enormous responsibilities for Joseph as he was going to help Raised the Son of God, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So he was obedient, verses 24 and 25. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took to him his wife, did not know her until she brought forth the firstborn son and called his name Jesus. At this point, Joseph didn't concern himself with the ridicule that might come his way. Because by this time, the community knew that, and we find it 
even with Jesus as an adult, they would kind of give some hints that there was something suspicious about uh, mom and dad coming together as husband and wife and the timing of his birth. It's like, there wasn't nine months. We can count. And you were, you were either a premature child or something fishy's going on here. But he didn't care about that. He was obedient to the angel's command because it was backed up by the word of God. He took Mary as his wife, who's already several months pregnant. Now it was customary that the firstborn son would be named after the dad, but he called his name Jesus in obedience as well to the word that came to him. In the Gospels, we find that Jesus' earthly family is mentioned to us, that Mary and Joseph had sons and daughters. As we read in Mark 6, 3, so is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So the sisters never mentioned. We don't know how many. But uh, they were married for quite a while. We, we find by the time Jesus gets into his ministry at the age of 30 that Joseph isn't mentioned anymore, so it is assumed that he died at some point. But after Jesus was born, uh, Mary and Joseph had children of their own, at least four brothers are named, and sisters are mentioned, so more than one sister So they had sons and daughters. And hopefully all the half-brothers and sisters came to acknowledge Jesus as their Savior. We do know of two because we have their epistles today, James and that of Jude. But for Joseph, the first Christmas meant following the plan of God for his life. So let's just wrap up with some final applications. First of all, Mary... She was a virgin, and and that is just something that we cannot look past. If Mary was not a virgin, we wouldn't be talking about Mary today. That would have been, it's like, well, we got to look for someone else. She was a virgin. She kept herself usable for God in this sense, and she had no idea that her virginity, in her mind, she was keeping her virginity for a future husband. God had a different plan for her. But she kept herself sexually pure. No doubt looking forward to marrying Joseph to bear his children. But God had a different plan for her life. And seeing that we all come to faith at different ages. It means that some of us come to faith in Christ with, well, if we come later in life, we have a lot of baggage that we carry with us. If we come early in life, we have less baggage. But we all come in sinners, as sinners in need of a Savior. Like Mary, we're all sinners in need of salvation. And like Mary, we should also strive to keep ourselves useful for God's kingdom purposes. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So she was most likely an arranged marriage by her parents, a legal contract signed for her. She was willing to follow the counsel of her parents. And this is the point I want to make out of this. Good parents will make decisions to help guide their children to adulthood and even sometimes beyond adulthood. 
Good children will walk in the counsel and guidance of their parents. Sometimes that's hard for a child to consider, but parents should have the best interest, interest of their children in mind. And children, you should know that your parents have your best interest in mind. Sometimes that means saying no to a child. Mary was highly favored, favored of the Lord, blessed to become the mother of Jesus. And we are highly favored because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might be saved. Mary was troubled and afraid. And though troubled and afraid, Mary was reassured by the testimony of God's word through the angel Gabriel. And at times we might find ourselves troubled and afraid. And like Mary, we need to find that assurance through the counsel of godly brothers and sisters, but also through the counsel of God's word itself. And Mary had questions. And though she had questions, she was obedient to follow God's plan for her life. And although we may come to God with questions, when the Lord called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I remember that day saying in front of our church, I now know what the Lord wants me to do I do not know how he would have me do it. I had questions. On the very first day of my call, I had questions. But I took steps to follow that call. And as I took the steps, God revealed and answered those questions. I think that's true for us today. If you feel the call of God on your life, take those steps. And as you take the steps, God will reveal the answer to that call. For Joseph... He also was betrothed, so a plan made by his parents. He allowed himself to be part of that once again. It's good to follow the counsel of the wise, especially our parents. Joseph was a just man. It's a Greek word that refers to having divine standard or being right in the sense of a person uh, walking in the ways of the Lord. And we can walk in the ways of the Lord according to the word of the Lord in our life as well. Joseph thought about these things. I think this is important, a matter of taking time to contemplate. See, Joseph, Mary, you're pregnant. We're getting divorced. That's it. Let's go to the gate right now. Let's get it over with. But it tells us he even slept on it because the angel came to him in a dream. So he didn't act upon the knowledge maybe that day, maybe it's been a week, but he didn't act upon the knowledge that he had right away. He took time to contemplate the matter. And by taking time, he understood what he should do. We should take time when making decisions. It's wise to consider the impact that that choice will have upon other people and upon our own lives as well. Psalm 27:14. wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. Joseph considered God's prophetic word and combining the angel's testimony again with God's prophetic word. Just notice that both Mary and Joseph, the angel came. Joseph's angel is not introduced to us. We don't know the name of the angel. It could have been Gabriel. Mary, we know his name was Gabriel. But not only did they tell them, this is the word of the Lord to you, they showed them by using God's word. So considering the prophetic word through the angel plus the very word of God. So again, seeking the counsel of God's word and the counsel of godly believers to seek out God's plan for our lives is a wise thing to do. And finally, 
Joseph did what the Lord commanded him. He took Mary to be his wife. He called the child's name Jesus. Once you feel that you know the plan of God, the call of God for your life, take steps toward that plan, answering it. God may reveal something totally different to you, but you won't know unless you take those steps. God called me into the ministry. Lily and I began to take steps toward answering that call, which was really, uh, Lily got kind of caught up in that call. I'm very grateful for that. But my own story from the time the Lord called me until I became the pastor of this church, it took 11 years. 11 years of my life would go by. I was taking steps during that time. Sometimes I was discouraged a lot in those 11 years, but I always kept taking steps. I never forgot the call that God put in my heart. So take those steps. Like Mary and Joseph, we are to take steps to follow God's plan for our lives. Father, thank you for your word. There's much that can be learned, not just about Mary and Joseph in the first Christmas, but Lord, what I want us to be reminded of today, this Christmas, this season, that we are, Lord, also your children, and that we should follow the path that you have for us as individuals and as a church together. So help us to consider these things this Christmas season, the work, Lord, that you want to do in our lives that's all been made possible because of the faithfulness of people like Mary and Joseph who followed the plan that you had for their lives, all made possible because of the coming of your son, the giving of your son, his birth, but also his death, burial, and resurrection, that we now, Lord, are part of the family of God to those who put faith in your name. So we give you praise this day. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.